ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Let's gnaw on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Their article number two was that they believe in unlimited atonement. Now, of course, uh, Calvinists or or Augustinianisms or whatever right. you want to call it, uh, they believe in limited atonement. Now, what does that what does that mean in basic English? Okay, so where the problem comes in is people hear the word limited. That's why modern Calvinists quite often use definite, okay, right. versus limited. Uh, the, the, it's really a matter of semantics, and the problem is you say, well, I don't believe in limited atonement. By the way, I know my, my personal doctor calls himself a four-point Calvinist mm-hmm. because he doesn't accept the limited, limited. atonement part. And, and, and it's really a misunderstanding. It's a very big misunderstanding. Yeah. And again, you think, well, Calvinists only believe, and I make this point in my, my book, Unconvinced. Mm-hmm. The guy says, repeatedly says, Calvinists believe only a fraction of people are going to be saved. Well, but that's not what Calvinists believe, and it's not what Scripture teaches, okay? And that's mm-hmm. a deep, deeper thing. But the point is, unless you are a universalist, and you believe that everybody gets saved, right. then the atonement is limited. Mm-hmm. What we believe what Calvinists believe is that, and, and if you want to go back to Augustinians, we believe that, anytime I clarify, I lose my train of thought. Right. God has stopped doing that. God doesn't save everyone. No. The, the, God the, doesn't if, choose everyone. If you say that, unless you're a universalist that says God saves everyone, then you're going to believe that there's a limited number of people that are going to be saved. Right. If you insist that free will makes that decision, and this is this is tricky. James Montgomery Boyce illustrated this, and I had never seen it before. Because the argument is that we do away with the idea of limited atonement, more people get saved. But if you believe that God chose people on the basis of their belief, he already knows how many people that is. Right. So you don't get more people by doing away with limited atonement. It's still limited atonement. He's only going to save the people who will believe in him. Okay. Right. So if you look at it from that standpoint, it, it potentially could be many, many more because God's grace is greater than man's rebellion. Mm-hmm. You see? So that's what the, the limited atonement, it really isn't limited. It, it is limited, but it is not a limit. If, if, it is limited, but in the Armenian viewpoint, it is limited by man's rebellion and free will and refusal to believe in God. Right. In in in, in the Reformed belief, that's why we say definite atonement, okay, versus limited. Well, do, when they when they talk about the uh, atonement, are they talking about the number of people that that? come to Christ, or are they talking about who, that Christ died forever? Okay, so Calvinists and Reformed people mean that Christ definitely atoned for the elect, the -hmm. people God had chosen, okay? Uh, The Armenians tend to think that that means God only 
chooses a, a, a small fraction of people. Okay. Here's a phrase that can clarify that. The death of Christ was efficient. The death of Christ was sufficient to save everybody. Yes. But it is only efficient for the elect. Okay. okay. And that's the distinction. Again, the problem rises because people say, well, the elect are a small number. You don't know that. No, nobody you don't know knows that. that. You don't know. In fact, I'm reading Anthony Hokima, created in the image of God. And he's talking about how the image of God is reflected. And in mankind, not just in me or you individually, which is true, mm-hmm. but in mankind. And, and then he brought out a point that, which struck me that the full, if, if we argue, this is a little off track, if we argue that God's image is made fully known in humanity at large, then the greater the number that are saved, the more resplendent God's glory and image will be throughout eternity. Mm-hmm. So, and, 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 and this is the, this is the, the, the line. Many people are going to be lost. There's no question about that. Right. But, but the, when you come to this subject, people tend to minimize the number that are going to be saved to so small a number. It looks like God doesn't care about people. Yeah. And, and that's, that's and not that's the case. That scares, that's yeah. what scares them. And that's what scares them. It's, it's only a handful of people compared to the vast numbers of, of, of human beings. Uh, that, that is a principle that, by the way, cannot be supported scripturally. Okay. It's one of these things we think we know, but we really dig down. And it's also something that a number of people on the reform side, again, I touch on this in, the, in this little booklet, that a number of people on the reform side of the aisle say that because God is choosing to save irrespective of man's sin, there's no reason for us to think that this number is teeny tiny microscopic. Right. There's no reason to think that. But that is part of what happens under the limited atonement. That very word makes it sound like, you know, that it's, it's just, it's just, a, you know, um, one out of a, one out of a hundred thousand or right. one out of a million. Well, if you ask, if you ask an Armenian that, uh, uh this question, uh, are all people going to come to Christ? And they say no. Well, that's a limited, that's atonement, a limited right? number, right? Yes. <laughs> so they believe in a limited right. well, the atonement, the atonement, even under that, even if, under if that heading. Everyone came to Christ except for one person. Right. It would still, it, you it's, could call it a limited. Yeah. It's because it, because had, it didn't apply to him. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why the phrase is a little, a little tricky. And I think it was D.A. Carson. Who, who also pointed out that that's a phrase that's really been developed later that's subject to misunderstanding. Right. There were the, the, the people at the Synod of, of Dort were just emphasizing there is no kind of concept in scripture of universalism where everybody's going to be in when it's all said and done. And that's a huge uh, there are two dangers, and I want to talk about that right at the end, which okay. we're, we're getting there very close. We'll come back to um, Yeah, we'll come back to that. Remind me. Okay. Uh, total depravity. Now, that's something that they agree on, right? Yeah. There is no, there's no <laughs> the, division there. 
between the Ar- what the people that call themselves Armenians and the people that call themselves Calvinists. Right. But they both believe in the total depravity. They, they do, although there is the, again, this is why modern Calvinists, quote-unquote, tend to use the word radical depravity rather than total, mm-hmm. because man, by and this is a broad subject of common grace, men are not as bad as they could be, because God is preventing them from being as bad as they could be. Right. Every now and again, we see a Hitler, we see a Pol Pot, we see some kind of just absolute monster that the things they do or want to do. Uh, why aren't everybody like that? And the answer is God, common grace, restrains people. Mm-hmm. So people then look at all the good people in the world, and they they misunderstand the point of total depravity. Well, everybody's not depraved completely. That phrase does not mean that. It means that every part of my being has been touched by sin, right. that there is no part of me that isn't somehow affected by the virus of sin. Right. And this is why you, when you go to the, for example, the Ten Commandments, they address different areas of life. The point is that every area of your life has been affected by sin. We do not mean people cannot be good socially or civically. We mean that no man is good morally. No man can meet God's standard, can earn salvation, can merit God's righteousness. That's the concept of radical or total depravity. And again, I hope people that are listening who might be might be confused about some of these things will dig a little deeper to see. Right. When you really peel down, you see, yeah, this really is what the Bible says. Exactly. And if you have questions, contact us. Yeah. We'd be Happy to answer your question. We, we would love to take a whole episode just to answer questions. Your question, yes. Yeah. We would love to do that. Love to do that. The next is Article 4, and prevenient grace uh, compared to irresistible grace. Can you explain that okay. quickly for us? Okay, so for, for first off, again, someone of, of D.A. Carson's caliber points out that the phrase irresistible grace is subject to misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Because it sounds like I'm grabbing you, and you're coming whether you want to come or not. Right. Again, the effectual would probably be a better word, maybe. Well, it, yeah, effectual grace meaning that it's going to accomplish its purpose. But right. again, God works in your heart to change your heart mm-hmm. so that you come willingly. You're not being drugged, but the effect is irresistible in that God has declared, "I'm going to save John Doe." John Doe doesn't want to be saved. I'm going to continue to work in John Doe's heart till he does want to be saved. And therefore, he cannot resist indefinitely the grace of God. Let's take the Apostle Paul. When we go to the book of Acts, it is clear that Paul has been resisting grace. Yes. God says, you're you're kicking against the goads, boy. You know, why are you resisting me? And this is, I mean, if you break it down, this is what he's saying. Why are you resisting me, Paul? Why are you... And, and God overcomes Paul's resistance with this blinding light, and he's three days in blindness, and he's left to question everything he believes. That's what we mean by irresistible. It doesn't mean God drags you in. It means God works in your heart till you no longer resist his call. Okay. okay. A prevenient grace is the belief, and it's very, very close here. The term is very close with Calvinism and Arminianism. It simply means God has to do something 
in your heart so that you will believe. Right. So both sides believe it. The difference is that the Armenians believe God has done this for every man, that anybody can choose God. And Calvinists say, no, that only applies to the elect because that's who God draws. Right. And again, you say, well, that doesn't sound right. Well, then go back to what Jesus says. He says, no one comes to me. Unless we, the we, Father draws, we have to ha- we have to question, and there is no scripture for this. Of when did God give every man the right? Because according to Jesus, every man does not have that ability. Mm-hmm. God must draw him. Yes. No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Well, then where is this freedom to come? You see, so that's the difference. We we do we in the in the term, they both agree that God must do something in the heart before we will come. But the Armenians believe God has already done that in every man's heart so that they can come. They will choose to come. And Calvinists said, no, no, that's, that doesn't fit with Scripture, which talks about again and again and again uh, the idea that no man can come unless... You know, what Jesus says in another place, just for the hearer, no, i got to move along. But in another place, Jesus says, why do you not, uh, why do you not hear my word? Or why do you not believe in me? Because you cannot hear my word. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow. Mm -hmm. Why do you you believe? Because you're not my sheep. Right. See? Well, if everybody's free to believe whenever they want to, that statement makes absolutely no sense. Okay. So that's the because difference. Because back to what you said, uh, there's, there's no fence setters or, or how no neutral. There's no there's neutral nobody opinion. that's neutral. Right. There's You're no, either here or here. Here. There's no, there's no in middle. between. Yeah. yeah. So nobody, uh, there's nobody that's sitting on the fence. Nobody is a fence. Yeah. We use that term. They're sitting on the fence. No, they're not. They're on one side or the other. You're either Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against, against me. me. There's no middle ground. Right. Okay. Article 5, and this uh, finishes it up with the articles, and uh, the Calvinists, of course, have put it into the TULIP uh, acronym, right. I guess. Is that the correct the, word? The TULIP is the right acronym, although, again, this is one area of misunderstanding. Joel Beakey, and I point this out in, in the book as well, Joel Beakey says that the TULIP acronym is incorrect because in Dutch there's only four letters in tulip. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also says that 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 really wasn't developed till like the 20th century. It's right. a relatively new thing, but it is a helpful acronym, and we use the acronyms in our culture all the time. Right. Yeah. It just it, helps it, you remember. It helps you remember these five fundamental points mm-hmm. about about that. Right. And the last one is. The Armenians believe in conditional perseverance of the saints, where the Calvinists believe in the perseverance of the saints. The the true Christian will persevere to the end. Now, does that mean that the Armenians believe that someone can lose their salvation? That's fundamental. The fundamental idea is that I can lose my salvation. I can choose at a later point to stop believing, to stop serving, and I forfeit what God gave me. Again, my 
viewpoint of that from just a philosophical standpoint, not in, in the scriptures itself, which we can touch on briefly. But again, my point is that I wasn't really saved. If I can walk away at any time, right? I'm not really saved. I'm just, I'm given a chance to be saved. I'm given an opportunity. And if I keep my nose clean, uh, and, and this is where you have to, the balance of the two again, because there are passages like Colossians 123. Uh, you are, and I have to get my Bible to read it precisely, but he says, you know, if, if you continue in the faith. Mm-hmm. Now the word if in English means something different than it does in, in Greek. Okay. Right. In, in, in English, it's, it's a, you may not continue. But the Armenians take that word to mean that you must continue. And the Calvinism takes that word. I'm going to have to read that verse. Or else we're going to confuse right. You only have room for so much, right? Okay, he says, so in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you continue. Okay, so the word if means something different in the Greek. It's not a a, a possible, this won't happen word in the right. Greek. But if we just take the English reading, the Armenians say, you must continue in the faith or you'll lose your salvation. The Calvinists say, you will continue in the faith, and this is the proof that you're truly saved. Right. Okay, And that's the subtle difference between the two. We are supposed to persevere, but God works to guarantee that perseverance in us. Jesus says, endure to the end. He that endures to the end will be saved. Right. The letters to the Church of Revelation encourage perseverance and mm-hmm. and and this is how God ensures our perseverance. A pastor gets up and preaches a message and talks about dealing with difficulties and a person who was thinking about throwing in the towel is renewed in their strength to press on. Mm-hmm. This is God working to ensure our perseverance so that we do not fail. Right. Okay? So there's there's a balance there again, but the difference is that the Armenians believe you can lose your salvation. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a huge uh, problem with that because the way I look at it, if I, can choo- I, if I can choose to accept what Christ has done for me, or ex- and then I can choose not to follow God, then it's be- all, that's all it, based on what I do. It's all, it's uh, all it's based on It's not based on what right. God has done so it's not right. based on grace. Right. So I'm not. Sh- I don't understand that. Yeah, that's that's one of the. And I, again, article I'm, at all. I'm coming from a background where we were told when I got saved, a non-Calvinist, non-reformed background, you can lose your salvation, and I just accepted that. Mm-hmm. I never. I I would take a few verses here and there, like this one. If you continue, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, and I would never dig down deeper. And when I was, quote-unquote, forced to dig down deeper into the subject, I began to see 
uh, the, the difference that, yeah, if it's just I choose to get saved and I choose to stop being saved, then where's God's plan? Where's God's purpose? Where's what's, God in? What, where's God? All. He's yeah. just, he's put an offer on the table. You're free to take it or reject it. Well, then how does God's perfect will come to pass? How does he say with, that I'm going to do what I do without fail? I declare from the end, the end from the beginning, Isaiah 48, 10, uh, things of old that nobody's thought of yet. How can he say he's going to do that if everybody is free just to take it or leave it? Right. There has to be some sense in which God's will triumphs over human will. Right. And, and again, I don't see that as the people would say, well, that makes us less, that somehow that makes us less of a human. I understand the, the concern because Anthony Hokima deals with that in the book I'm reading just now, the balance. How do we balance the two? But we must be sure that we don't sacrifice God's sovereignty on the altar of human will. Right. We have to, we have to find that balance. And, uh, you know, another thing that, another passage that illustrates that, Jesus says, uh, all that the Father's given me, I believe it's chapter five of John, might be chapter eight. But he says, all that the Father has given me will come to me. Now you see in that verse, predestination, the Father's given them to me, right. will come. Freedom to come. Okay, they're both there. Right. All that the Father has given me will come to me. Right. And those who come, I will not cast out right. for no reason. For the Son of Man did not come to do his own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, yes. that all that he has given me will, uh, that, that I will raise them up. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, 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 I'm losing track of the verse, so I'm going to just. But you're doing good. Yeah. I, all that come to me, the will of the Father, whosoever comes to me should not be lost, but that I should raise them up on the last day. Right. That is a perseverance promise. Yes. And, G, and get this, if anybody that God gave Christ is not saved in the end, then Jesus failed, failed. to do God's will. And Jesus has and, not failed. And, and he, he never will. will. Amen. Never will. Amen, brother. And that's, so when you get into that kind of, when you get into those kinds of explorations of scripture, and I beg the listeners, my experience to this point is, and this is one of the reasons why I just thrive on the Reformed teachings, because they plow the scriptures. They just don't say, now this verse says, and that verse says, they plow, mm -hmm. they dig down into the scriptures, and you see the wonder that's exposed, and it just takes your breath away. And the facets on that oh, diamond yeah, that you're talking about. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It is. So, so that's the difference. They believe you can lose it. You can, you can do something and choose to, to to walk away from God. And if I could just say one more thing, I know I'm rambling here, but if I come to Christ, now, now, now listen, Psalm, what is one of the Psalms that says, taste and see that the Lord is good? Uh, Isaiah, come buy milk and food without price. So you get saved, and yet your experience with God is so unsatisfactory that one day you're going to walk away. Now, there's a problem there, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Because if I really am saved and if I'm really walking with him, if I'm really enjoying his presence and his power, what could ever separate me? Cause me. Why would I walk away from that? You see what I'm saying? How could I, how could God say, I'm going to start a work in you. I'm going to finish the work. Part of the work is going to be to glorify my name and, and just uh, bedazzle you with my riches and my goodness. And one day I get up and say, well, this isn't enough, you know. Yeah, I'm going to walk away from now, this. I now, can do better. Yeah. Now you say, well, Pastor, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute. Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. True. But Paul does not say Demas was a true Christian. Right. He just says, one of the people who traveled with me decided to go back. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Paul was grieved by that. But Demas did not behold the wonder and beauty of Christ because if he had, he would realize there is nothing, nothing that compares with the greatness of our God. Yes. You know, one thing too for, uh, pastor, for those that may be watching, uh, and they have been listening to the differences between the uh, Armenians and the and Calvinists. And they say, well, you know, my pastor believes this, uh, this that the Armenians believe, but he believes this on the other side, uh, he believes. There are pastors out there, like you said, you said uh your doctor is a four-point Calvinist, right. so he disagrees on one point. Right. So there, there are pastors out there that uh, think along the same way. Right. You know, some some pastors believe you can lose your salvation; some right. can't. Now, they're usually that falls down lines of denominations. Right. Is that true? Well, in, in the predominant difference is yes, Calvinists are typically. Uh, Calvinists typically are Orthodox Presbyterians, Presbyterian Church in America, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, many of the Baptists, right. Reformed Baptists, yeah, yeah those Especially. kind of things. Where the Armenians typically are Methodists, uh, Nazarenes, mm-hmm. some of the Congregationalists. There right. are Free Will Baptists who who reject the idea of unconditional election. Mm-hmm. They they want it's it's my free will, uh, so so those are the basic two terms. The Nazarenes would be on the uh, Armenian side of the mm-hmm. coin, but most of the Baptists, uh, Anglicans, uh, Reformed Anglicans, but you know you have your traditional Anglican rather, which is holding the line doctrinally on conservative issues. Mm-hmm. The other Anglican churches have gone the way the Episcopalian Church has gone to the liberal side. But yeah, typically it's it's pretty much denominations, and there'll be some some degree of fluidity within the denominations themselves. So, if, if someone out there uh, that's listening that says uh, my pastor disagrees on certain points, what would you say to to them? Um, well, the first thing I would say is uh, you have to make a decision. Is this difference? I and and this is tricky. Is this a secondary issue in your church? Here's what I mean by that. Now, you've heard me preach on these topics for several years now. Mm -hmm. 
you've yet to hear me say, that guy, you shouldn't go to that church, you shouldn't follow that minister. I say that about Joel Osteen, okay, because we're talking about a whole other animal with that. Yes. Uh, But I've I've never said to someone, uh, you shouldn't shouldn't go to that church. In fact, we have people in our church whose family members are in a Methodist church. Mm -hmm. So you, you see the contrast. But I've never told them, boy, you ought to leave that church. Right. I think if your pastor holds a different opinion on these issues, but it's not a weekly, um, it's not a weekly tirade against Calvinists. Okay, mm-hmm. then or against the other way around. Yeah, way against around. the Ar- Armenians if they if they simply in passing say, "Now we believe this, they believe that," mm-hmm. and leave it. Uh, if you see an effort for that person to turn. If you see your pastor turning this issue into a salvation question, you're not a real Christian unless you believe this or that. Then, then I then trouble. I think you're 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 headed for trouble. Yeah. Right. To acknowledge and you brought out in the beginning, this is a sixteen hundred year disagreement. Yes. We're not gonna solve it next week. No. Let's work together yes. to accomplish the kingdom of God. By the way, I've I've constantly said this, and I'm not doing one that. There are true Catholics. There are people in the Catholic Church that are true Christians. They're yes. part of the visible and yes. invisible church. Mm-hmm. Lutherans don't exactly fit under a Calvinist umbrella because they have some different beliefs. But there are genuine Lutherans. They're truly saved. We have a whole other group of believers that we don't talk about much in the West, but that's the Orthodox Church, okay? Mm-hmm. They broke off from the Roman Catholics, uh, what we call the Roman Catholics, broke off from the Catholic Church over this phrase that was inserted in the Nicene Creed. Uh, but there are good Christians in the Orthodox Church. So we, 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 we defend our doctrinal beliefs with passion because we believe they are beneficial. Yes. We do not say that if you don't believe every one of these, you're not a real Christian because uh, that, that just would not would not fly. So if the right. pastor is saying, you know, here's what I believe, here's why I disagree with this group, but there are good Christians in that group, mm-hmm. then I don't think it becomes an issue. So as long as he's, as long as their past, as long as your pastor is, is teaching that salvation is, we're saved by grace through faith. Right. That's in, and through the mercy of God. Right. Um, that's the important. That's, right? that's and your relationship that we've been talking about right. that you have with Christ is right. not anything you can't work your way into heaven. Right. It's nothing you've done. It's what Christ has right. done for you. Right. If, if your pastor is preaching that, then uh, right. uh, God bless him. Yeah. God bless him. Yeah. I, I, I do think that there are, um, you, you know, you get into personal issues. If you feel like you're never good enough, which you can feel that way in a Calvinist church. You yes. know, you can feel that way in any kind of church where the pastor's constantly bombarding you with what you have to do rather than what God has done. Yeah. So you can come away feeling like I'm just not a good enough Christian. Mm-hmm. I personally believe that that's just a part of the Christian predicament because if you're truly conscious of your sin, you know you're never good enough. Mm-hmm. But instead of trying to work harder to be good enough, I rest in his grace. Right. I do, I do what I'm called to do and I do the best I can. But at the end of the day, thank God for his grace. Yes. Thank God for his grace. Jesus said, 
Come unto me, all ye are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Right, right. And there is no greater rest than to rest in his grace, Amen. in his mercy, Amen. and in his love. Yeah. Um, Amen. There's no better place. Amen. We're almost there. Okay. There are two extremes that you can fall in in both. The Calvinism, uh, I believe it's called hyper-Calvinism, and uh, the Armenians, I believe it's called open theism. Right. So explain the two extremes that you want to avoid Okay. anywhere so, you go. Right. So let us, let us acknowledge first that because we're human beings, there is no perfect doctrinal system Correct. or church governance. We're, yes. we're, 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 we're finding our way in the dark in some respects. Yes. Uh, but we do want to avoid extremes. Paul in the gospel, uh, in his letters talks about mark those who are unruly and avoid them. And so when you come to extreme doctrinal teachings, regardless of what they're about, you should avoid those. Okay. Um, but hyper Calvinism says, and this is where people misunderstand. They often blame hyper Calvinism for what they say. They, they say that hyper Calvinism's beliefs are true Calvinism. Hyper-Calvinists believe that you don't have to put your faith in Christ, you'll still be saved. God's going to save you. He planned to save you. He will save you. It doesn't matter whether you hear the gospel, whether you repent, whether you believe. In the end, you're going to be saved. That's that hyper-Calvinism. That's an extreme view. That's an extreme view. Okay. Uh, and thankfully, it's not the predominant view. Yes. Uh, the other side of the coin with open theism is... Open theism says there's, there's still Christians and non-Christians, but they say that in, in, that God does not know that it really deals with God's sovereignty. Okay. Mm -hmm. They say God does not know what you're going to do in a given situation. Therefore, he cannot act until you act. Okay. Uh, and it is, it is, it is born out of, as all things, a very legitimate desire to answer some of the big questions that we can't answer. Okay. We just can't. Um, there are things that happen in every person's life where we might make decisions that turn out to be the wrong decision. And we prayed about it. We sought advice and it still turned into a nightmare. The argument is God didn't have control. That's why that happened versus saying, God has a purpose that I don't understand. And if I'm going to be a human, I have to acknowledge God has purposes I don't understand. Even, even many times, by the way, purposes that cause us no pain, quote unquote, but we still don't understand. Why, why are you doing this, God? Why is it, why has it got to be like this? Okay. So it is a legitimate concern that gives rise to it. But in order to justify the view that God doesn't have control, they come up with this philosophy that says, God doesn't know what you're going to do until you do. He doesn't know what's going to happen if, if A, B, and C happens. Well, he doesn't know. Mm -hmm. So so he's learning the future the same way you are. Now, that's extreme. That's well. extreme. And it's taken from scriptures, the number of scriptures, as you know, where it says God repented of his creating the world mm -hmm. or other passages where it sounds like he doesn't know what's going to happen next. And they take those verses and instead of grounding them in the context 
and the understanding that God's trying to communicate, an infinite being is trying to communicate with finite creatures, they they just say, well, God doesn't know everything. Mm. That's an extreme, okay? And that's where the, the extreme is. Um, so basically, they deny the sovereignty of God. They deny it's a it's a it comes down to denying God's sovereignty because he doesn't know everything about now he might know some things, but he doesn't know everything. I used this illustration last week. If I can not not, not distract you from your question. Okay. Um, where Jesus says in Matthew ten, God knows the number of hairs on your head. Mm-hmm. And he knows are not two sparrows sold for a penny? They're worthless, in other words. Mm-hmm. They're two little birds for a penny. And it, and Luke says it even stronger. He says five sparrows for two pennies. Okay? Price is going down. Mm-hmm. They're worthless. And yet he says, your father knows when one of them falls to the ground. And as I've mentioned before, um, uh, R.C. Sproul says that doesn't mean if a bird dies. It means every time a bird lands. So take 10 million sparrows Mm -hmm. times 10 million landings Mm -hmm. in a week. Mm -hmm. And this gives you an idea of the extent of God's foreknowledge. Okay. Uh, Now that's the God I serve. That's the God I serve. And you can see the inconsistency. You want to defend foreknowledge in the fact that God knew you would make a decision for salvation Yet you want to at the same time say God doesn't know what you're going to do tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, it, it doesn't, you, it, make, it doesn't it make sense. Doesn't it's an inconsistency, and you can see the problem there. So that's that's extreme. I got to stop. That's the two extremes. Hyper Calvinism says God's going to do it regardless. The man has no role to play, which is not biblical. Uh, the the extreme on the other side is that man, uh, man. God doesn't know. It's a question of his sovereignty. Now, I have to say one more thing. It's not true of every group, okay? Not true of every group on the Armenian side. Not saying it has never happened on the Calvinist side. I will say that the trend towards unbiblical views is more predominant on the Armenian side. I, case in point, the Methodist Church and its abandonment of any kind of sexual value system at all. The the Episcopalian or the, or the uh, Church of England, the Anglican Church, and its, its abandonment of almost any kind of rule for sexuality, which is clearly biblical. It's got, it goes to the image of God. God created them. Male and female. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female reflect the image of God in ways that we can't fully comprehend. Sexuality matters. Yes. Those churches seem more prone to go that way. Mm -hmm. Okay? Again, the the Presbyterian Church in the USA has done the same thing, so we've got to be careful. Right. But I'm saying, as a rule, it is that side of the aisle, from my perspective, because they have abandoned some of the other teachings that opens the door for them to go further and further astray. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the Pentecostals and Charismatics would also come down on the Armenian side as it relates to uh, this discussion. Right. Well, a fitting way to close. <laughs>
Uh, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in, in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So as we close again, we see that privilege right. brings responsibility. So right, right. Praise God for all he's done. Yeah. And all he's going to do. Pastor, thank you very much. Bless you, my friend. God bless you. I another enjoyed good, another, another good, good day. Discussion, man. Bibles, Bulldogs, and Beards was brought to you by BibleBulldog.com. Purveyors of antiquarian Bibles, theology books, and other Christian items. Also enjoy hundreds of podcasts and sermons while you visit BibleBulldog.com. Visit BibleBulldog.com today.